obviously, you know, we're not going to be talking too much about it. You're going to find out they made a very big mistake. Well, that sounds ominous, doesn't it? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Uh, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and... Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your Friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. I uh, I wish we had better news today. I wish we had uh, more fun. I wish it was one of those shows when the Green News Report wasn't the thing we all look forward to for <laughs> fun and games. Well, those um, are not the times we live in. No, those are not, but that's going to have to be... Well, actually, that and uh, Lawmakers on the Lam. Oh, the favorite kind of story uh, for so me. We'll, we'll uh, try to get to that a little bit later to try to uh, cheer us all up from uh, what could be a very grim day. I don't know, but this is exactly... Oh, hi, Desi Doyen. Oh, hello. Uh, this is exactly what I've been uh, quite concerned about for quite a while when it comes to this president and his saber-rattling in the Middle East. As we uh, talked about a few days ago on this program, the dangers of what uh, Trump is now doing. Well, uh, I don't know where we are. We're going we're potentially on the brink of something very bad. I hope that we are not. We'll be speaking with someone momentarily about about it and we'll see if maybe she can put us at ease. But Iran's Revolutionary Guard shot down a U.S. surveillance drone on Thursday in the Strait of Hormuz, the narrow waterway in the Gulf, uh, on the in the Persian Gulf, on the southern border of Iran, where a huge amount of the world's petrochemicals pass every day as they are shipped around the world. The shootdown marks the first time that the Islamic Republic directly attacked the American military amid tensions over Tehran's unraveling nuclear deal with world powers, as AP describes it. It is unraveling, of course, because Donald Trump pulled the U.S. out of the landmark seven-nation deal that had successfully curbed Iran's enrichment of 
nuclear material needed to build a weapon in exchange for lifting years of crippling sanctions against the country. Trump, however, unilaterally removed the U.S. from the deal struck during the Obama administration, reinstituted the crippling sanctions, and has threatened other signatories, uh, such as Europe and China, if they do not also reinstitute the sanctions against Iran as well. The U.S. and Iran disputed the circumstances leading up to uh, the Iranian surface-to-air missile bringing down the U.S. Navy RQ-4A Global Hawk, which is an unmanned aircraft, a big one, with a wingspan larger than a Boeing 737 jetliner, uh, each of them costing, by the way, more than $100 million. Iran said the drone violated its territorial airspace, while the U.S. called the missile fire, quote, an unprovoked attack in international airspace. Over the narrow mouth of the Persian Gulf and President Donald Trump tweeted that Iran, quote, Iran made a very big mistake. Now, later, Trump appeared to play down the incident at least a little bit telling reporters in the Oval Office that he had a feeling that a general or somebody was being loose and stupid and made a mistake in shooting down the drone. According to NBC, he uh, asked at the White House about a U.S. response. Donald Trump said, quote, obviously, you know, we're not going to be talking much about it. You're going to find out, he said ominously. He said Iran, he repeated, Iran made a very bad mistake. The drone was an in international waters. Clearly, we have it documented, he said. While Trump said the Iranian action was a new fly in the ointment and a very foolish move, he also said that it might have been a mistake. He said, I have a feeling that someone under the command of that country made a big mistake. I find it hard to believe that it was intentional. It could have been someone who was loose and stupid who did it adding that it would have made a big difference if there had been a person in the drone. So as an unmanned drone, hopefully uh, those comments there are an indication that Trump will proceed carefully with any response to whatever happened after, yes, he provoked all of this with his actions. However, the 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 hawks in uh, in Congress in the Senate over on Fox News may not feel the same if we got any indication from Lindsey Graham and uh, his very hawkish comments uh, this afternoon. So here's what Iran needs to get ready for: severe pain inside their country. That their capabilities pale in comparison to ours. We're not going to let them disrupt navigation of the seas, attack our allies and U.S. interests without paying a price. So if they're itching for a fight, they're going to get one. That was uh, South Carolina Senator and Chicken Hawk Lindsey Graham essentially threatening what could turn into World War III in the Gulf. The incident immediately heightened the crisis already gripping the wider region, which is rooted in Trump withdrawing the U.S. a year ago from Iran's 2015 nuclear deal and imposing crippling sanctions on Tehran. Recently, Iran quadrupled its production of low enriched uranium in order to be on pace to break one of the deal's terms by next week while threatening to raise enrichment closer to weapons-grade levels on July 7 if Europe doesn't offer it a new deal. And frankly, 
Why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't they break the terms of the deal? We broke the deal first. They didn't. They've paid an extraordinarily high price for our actions, which have indeed crippled their economy, as Trump likes to brag on the campaign circuit. So, yeah, you know what? If I was them, I'd increase production as well. Why continue to obey a treaty that the other side has blatantly and proudly violated? I know. And just to remind folks that, hey, remember, the United States doesn't ever actually attack countries that have nuclear weapons. We only attack, like Iraq, countries that don't have them. So if you're concerned that the U.S. might attack you, then that would make sense And from a self-defense point of view. Now, to be clear, Iran does not have nuclear weapons Correct. and they don't have a, a, a nuclear weapons program either, at least as they have claimed. They certainly do not have one. Uh, since the uh, 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 the nuclear treaty, that we know for absolutely certain, which they have been complying with, citing unspecified Iranian threats in recent weeks, which may or may not be made up out of whole cloth by the Trump administration and uh, his hawkish national security advisor, John Bolton, and his hawkish secretary of state, Mike Pompeo. The U.S. has sent an aircraft carrier to the Middle East and deployed additional troops alongside the tens of thousands that are already there. All of this has raised fear that a miscalculation or further rise in tensions could push the U.S. and Iran into an open conflict some 40 years after Tehran's Islamic Revolution. The uh, Revolutionary Guard commander, General Hossein Salami, said in a televised address, quote, we do not have any intention for war with any country, but we are fully ready for war. The paramilitary guard, which answers only to the Supreme Leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, said that it shot down the drone at 4.05 a.m. Thursday when it entered into Iranian airspace about 750 miles southeast of Tehran. The drone, they said, took off from the southern Persian Gulf and collected data from Iranian territory, including the southern port of Chabahar near Iran's border with Pakistan. The guard uh, explained this in uh, comments that appeared to uh, aimed at showing that they were tracking the aircraft. The U.S. military has not commented on the mission of the remotely piloted aircraft that is able to fly higher than 10 miles in altitude uh, and stay in the air for over 24 hours at a time. The U.S. military says that Iran fired on and missed another drone last week near the Strait of Hormuz, the narrow mouth of the Persian Gulf through which 20 percent of all global oil moves. The U.S. has been worried about international shipping through the strategic waterway since tankers were damaged in May and June in what Washington has blamed on mines from Iran, although Tehran has denied any involvement. Indeed, they were seen helping the crew of one of the attacked tankers and aided in putting out a fire on one of them as well. U.S. Air Force Lieutenant General Joe Gustella, a commander of the U.S. Central Command, said that the Global Hawk was at least 34 kilometers from Iranian territory when it was shot down by the surface-to-air missile. He said it was an attempt to disrupt U.S. efforts to monitor the Persian Gulf region. But Iran's Salami described the American drone as, quote, violating our national security border. Borders are our red line. 
the Revolutionary Guard general said, any enemy that violates the border will be annihilated. Huh. Violating borders. That's something that Donald Trump claims to be very concerned about, no? Or is it only when it's our borders uh, where he has such concerns? Uh, for their part, the uh, foreign ministry in Iran also said the drone entered Iranian airspace. Their foreign minister tweeted that it would take the case to the U.N. He later tweeted that Iran retrieved parts of the drone in its territorial waters. Russian President Vladimir Putin urged caution, warning any war between Iran and the U.S. would be a, quote, catastrophe for the region at a minimum. Well, it certainly would be. It uh, it could very well become World War Three, as I said, to be frank. But that, of course, uh, was why the landmark agreement known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action or the JCPOA was so crucial, so important and so helpful in easing tensions in the Gulf that the administration and his Republican allies now seem dead set on lighting up once again. Largely, I believe, uh, because it was a deal that they oppose it because it was a deal made by Barack Obama and had the very same deal been struck by Donald Trump or really any Republican president. I think that they and the uh, the, the warmongers over at Fox News would have been all in favor of it. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres expressed concern, urged all parties to avoid any action that could inflame the situation. That sounds like good advice. Meanwhile, the uh, following the downing of the drone, the National Iranian American Council, NIAC, put out a statement from its president, Jamal Abdi, who said at every fork in the road with Iran, Trump has allowed warmongers like John Bolton to direct his Iran policy. This has brought the U.S. to the precipice of, uh, of a war that Trump claims he wanted to avoid. This administration needs to take a step back and dramatically rethink its Iran policy and the officials guiding that policy before it is too late. Abdi said, moreover, Congress needs to step in and make clear that Trump does not have the authorization to start a new war. There is still time, he said, for Trump to defuse tensions with Iran and put to rest this manufactured crisis rather than opt for the military options that Bolton will undoubtedly propose. Trump should seek out third-party mediators who can help de-escalate and bring the U.S. and Iran back to the negotiating table. Abdi continued by saying both Trump and his inner circle and Iran's leadership should recognize that the U.S. and Iran have entered an escalation spiral, adding fuel to the fire risks, stoking the crisis to the point of no return. For the U.S., any military retaliation is likely to be matched in kind by Iran. For Iran, any provocations risk further isolating the country and giving fodder to war hawks who won't stop at a few retaliatory strikes. Abdi concluded by saying, The night is always darkest before the dawn. We urge all leaders to put their country's best interests in mind and firmly step away from the path to war. Sounds like good advice. Joining us now to talk about all of this is Dr. Asal Raj. She is a research fellow and policy analyst at the National Iranian American Council, 
a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization dedicated to strengthening the voice of Iranian Americans and promoting greater understanding between the American and Iranian people. Dr. Rod earned her Ph.D. in Middle Eastern history from the University of California, Irvine, where her research focused on modern Iran with an emphasis on national identity formation and identity in post-revolutionary Iran. Dr. Asal Rod, thank you for joining us today on the broadcast on short notice today. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, what do we know, if anything at all at this point, for certain about this incident? Iran claims the drone was inside their uh, border. The U.S. claims the drone was in international airspace. They both claim to have evidence to support their case. Is there any way at this point to know who is actually telling the truth here? Well, you know, I think we always want to err on the side of caution in when we make a decision like this. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was the same thing with the, the tanker attacks. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that we have the evidence before drawing conclusions. Of course, the CENTCOM has said that the drone was on in international waters. Mm -hmm. Jawad Zaif, the Iranian foreign minister, has already tweeted saying, showing pictures, satellite images, saying that it was in Iranian territory. So this is going to be something that's going to be disputed, much like the tankers. And I think the important point to take is we need to have all of the evidence before we can draw conclusions. On the U.S. side, um, of course, an argument can be made that there is a credibility issue. Given that the Trump administration, mm -hmm. um, Trump himself, President Trump, has gone back and forth in sort of the tone he takes with Iran. He'll tweet something like, we're going to end Iran, or that was a big mistake on Iran's part, and then sort of walks, and you mentioned it in your introduction, mm -hmm. sort of walks back and says, no, this is how I meant it, or this is how I meant it. So he goes back and forth, we don't want regime change, we don't want a war, but then he has advisors, like the National Security Advisor John Bolton, who argues exactly for those goals. Yeah. So there is a credibil credibility issue on uh, on the side of the Trump administration. Even members of Congress have come out and said, you know, there are times where the intelligence, the way that the intelligence is being talked about and shown is misleading. So, um, and that's not, by the way, to give credibility to the Iranian side. The Iranian side also lacks credibility in their own right. And that's why, without a full investigation and having evidence, uh, I would avoid drawing conclusions and certainly taking action based on conclusions that aren't based on full evidence. Yeah, you do a, a nice job there, Doctor, of sort of uh, detailing the, uh, the incomprehensibility of what our policy actually is now. You have Donald Trump pulling out of the JCPOA, uh, you know, claiming that he wants a new deal. It's unclear what exactly it is that he wants. Uh, he says he does not want to go to war in in uh, in the Middle East. And, you know, then he turns around with this uh, these the recent tanker attacks and saying, well, we know Iran did it because, look, you all saw that uh, videotape of, of that boat. And frankly, that videotape of that boat uh, doesn't seem to really tell us much of anything. And yet Donald Trump was citing that as his evidence to support his certainty that Iran was behind the attacks on those tankers. The fact that the Trump administration uses uh, evidence like a video that, again, is inconclusive, right? Mm -hmm. So Donald, President Trump, unfortunately, will just sort of cite something that he sees on Fox News, and that'll be evidence that he can use. Uh, the, the evidence won't come from a video that's that short. It will require an investigation, and in fact, that investigation should come from third parties, right, mm -hmm. to 
in order to have uh, an unbiased view of what's going on, just like you would in any other sort of court case and anything where you're trying to present evidence, you would have to have a third party that can assess and draw conclusions based on that. Um, the wedge between Bolton, sorry. No, I was going to say, and that and that's sort of uh, one of my concerns here. Uh, that uh, the statement from the NIAC that I, I shared there, um, your uh, president uh, Jamal Abdi says that Trump should seek out third-party mediators who can help de-escalate and bring the U.S. and Iran back to the back to the negotiation negotiating tables. But I'm kind of scratching my head here, wondering, well, who might such third-party mediators actually include that, you know, both Trump and Iran would actually respect enough to work with on finding a solution here? Is it another country? Is it the U.N.? I mean, who uh, who has that power to sort of intercede here and be respected enough by both sides? And frankly, I'm more worried about, you know, being respected enough by Donald Trump. Uh, that uh, you know that that they can actually bring some uh, common sense and and cool the situation down here. Any idea who their who that third party would be? Uh, well, you know, you could go back to the original parties to the JCPOA, um, the United Nations. Those would be third parties that uh, you know the parties to the JCPOA are allies of the United States, mm-hmm. historical allies of the United States. So one would think that that would give legitimacy enough that the president of the U.S. would actually, like you said, sort of respect that view. Unfortunately, we haven't seen that, and we can see that from the withdrawal to the, from the JCPOA. Um, whether or not, you know, the Iranian side has shown, and I think this is important to say because sometimes it, the way that our media frames it, it makes it seem like the Iranian side is an irrational party. Mm-hmm. And yet that is the party that agreed to the deal and has abided by that deal, despite the fact that the U.S. abrogated that deal a year ago. So that doesn't really lend itself to an image of unreasonable or irrational thinking. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a lot of parties that would be credible to the Iranian side, including those that are actually part of the JCPOA and the agreement, and an international body like the United Nations. Getting our side, getting the United States and President Trump to respect that party, I think is a bit more tricky right um that's you know i mean i there seemed like a sort of glimmer of hope that when the japanese prime minister visited iran and trump had just been in japan that that might draw some kind of uh he would respect that negotiation but of course with these incidents that occur such as the the drone strike right Mm -hmm. these incidents that occur they're small escalations and at any given point, one miscalculation can lead us to war. And there's a sort of, you know, crossing of the Rubicon. At what point have we gone too far? And it's important that the approach of the United States not be as volatile as it has been. You know, you brought up his advisors and the fact that we don't have a clear policy on Iran. We certainly don't because we have a president who is saying he doesn't want a war and who openly said he doesn't want regime change. What President Trump claimed is that he didn't want Iran to have nuclear weapons. Interestingly enough, there was, of course, an agreement right. that prevented Iran from having a nuclear weapon that the United States decided to pull out of. But if that is his intended goal, it does not match the goal of his own advisors, such as John Bolton, who wrote a piece in an opinion piece in the New York Times with a title to stop Iran from getting the bomb, bomb Iran. He has openly talked about regime change in mm-hmm. Iran. So the question that has to be asked is what is the end goal of this administration and who is running the show in terms of 
decisions on Iran? Is it National Security Advisor John Bolton or is it the president? Yeah, and and that's the problem here is that the U.S. policy seems to be completely incoherent. And as you note, uh, Dr. Rod, the, the Iran has remained in compliance with the treaty. They now say they will uh, exceed what uh, the allowable amount of enriched uranium uh, potentially within the next few days if a new deal is not struck. But they have been in compliance the whole time. So, I mean, do you have any idea as someone who studies this? Do you have any idea? Because I don't. What would actually bring Trump back to the table at this point? It's not even clear to me that, uh, you know, what Trump's problem actually was with the original deal. You say he wanted to make sure that Iran didn't get nuclear weapons. Well, they weren't going to under the treaty. Do you have any idea what his complaint was other than, you know, Fox News and Republican hawks, uh, you know, who kept telling him that it was a terrible deal? I'm not sure how the deal could be made uh, any better. Are are you? Uh, well, there's a few things that I want to address in what you said. One was you brought up this uh, idea that Iran will soon be, we keep saying, in breach of the agreement, mm-hmm. according to the JCPOA. Mm-hmm. One of the things to keep in mind is that there's a limit the low enriched uranium limit that the JCPOA allows for Iran is 300 kilograms, and it allows for the excess to be transported or sold off. Mm-hmm. Sanctions, recent sanctions that the Trump administration has put on Iran, does not allow for them to sell that excess. So mm-hmm. it's almost like sabotage, right? Mm-hmm. It, it seems like there's some kind of self-sabotage. You're saying that they're going to breach an agreement that you made impossible for them to comply with, at least that small limitation. Of course, Iran we would argue that Iran should show restraint mm-hmm. because ultimately our goal is to prevent a war. So the question at the end of the day always becomes who wants a war with Iran and who does not? In the case of the Trump administration, again, the problem becomes his advisors. So you ask, you know, what, what might change, what might bring him to the table, what might change his course of action? And I would point to the fact that his course of action changed when his advisors changed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a reasonable, if the president wants to avoid a war that will be predictably much worse than anything we've experienced so far in Iraq, then he has to have the correct advisors around him. We do have to also, you know, recognize that our president is not necessarily a policy expert. He has no background in these things. So if he's listening to his advisors, those advisors are key in terms of the path that we're going to take moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's not just John Bolton. He gets a lot of the uh, a lot of the attention here. Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, is clearly uh, incredibly hawkish when it comes to to the Middle East and to Iran. As a matter of fact, uh, the secretary of state, who was the uh, former CIA director, is now said to be in contention to be the. uh, the, the next uh, Secretary of Defense. Yes, we do not actually have... We have an acting Secretary of Defense, though he just uh, withdrew his name. So we're going through all of this with, uh, you know, sort of uh, without guidance, without an actual utter to uh, to steer where we are going, it seems to me. Um, and it's, it's kind of frightening. Uh, how bad has the effect been on Iran since Trump reinstituted the, uh, the sanctions that had finally been lifted uh, previously due to the uh, nuclear treaty? How, how bad has that effect been felt in Iran itself, Asal? 
you know, it's had just like sort of any economic stress anywhere for the wealthier classes, it, it hasn't had quite an effect. But of course, the majority of Iranians are not part of the wealthy classes. And so for the majority of the country, ordinary Iranians are suffering every mm-hmm. day from just in the devaluation of their currency, the inflation of all prices. Food has become incredibly expensive, especially, you know, staples like milk, bread, meat, um, which have become for some people unaffordable. Mm. On top of that, uh, medicines have been affected. And while, so when we bring this up, it's always like, well, you know, medicine is exempt in the sanctions. And whether or not the language in the law is clearly or unclearly written, the issue and the reality on the ground is that there is a shortage of medicine. And when you talk to people in Iran, they say, like, well, we don't make these certain cancer medicines. Those things are imported. And all of our imports are being affected by the sanctions. Mm. And people, because the language of the law is often obscure, there are, you know, companies, these are private companies who are worried, banks, that don't want to do anything that may cause them to be in violation, according to the U.S. And so that trade, those imports are not getting there. Mm. Even uh, the flooding crisis that you saw in Iran a couple of months back, while people gathered aid, getting the aid to the people was very, very difficult because you can't have any transactions. Right. So it's having a, it's having a terrible effect on their lives. And on top of that, this is something that's very important, what we see in the administration is this discourse that says, oh, the Iranian people are dissatisfied with their government, and so just like the sort of rhetoric we saw in Iraq, which was, you know, they want to be sort of saved, this complex that the United States will go and do that. What's happening is because of how much Iranians are actually suffering, what Trump has done is played into the hands of the hardline elements in the country. Yeah sort of tarnishing the image of the U.S., which was a very positive image amongst the Iranians. But, of course, now as they suffer, it's much easier for that government to point to the United States as the blame. So they can see. So the, the folks who are on the ground, who are having to deal with these shortages, shortage of food, medicine, and everything else, it's not like they're saying uh, that they're turning against their own leaders and saying we need to go with the U.S. They're realizing that this is being caused by the behavior of the U.S. And that seems to be offering fodder for the hardliners. Um, and, and well, doesn't this all offer fodder for the hardliners both in the U.S. and in Iran? I, I know... Uh, Little more than war seems to be the solution for uh, for some of the hardliners we've talked about, Bolton and Pompeo and so forth. But are the Iranian hardliners, are they willing to strike a deal with a country that has already uh, broken the one that they had at this point and, uh, you know, has sort of proven the assertion, their previous assertions that the U.S. cannot be trusted? Are those folks willing to go back to the table at this point? I mean, you point to something that's very important. Um there's certainly the, the sort of hawkish uh, mentality in the United States has its counterparts in Iran, of course. Mm-hmm. There are those who um, would potentially even welcome conflict with the U.S. For some, for some hardline elements in the Iranian government, it's, you know, their, their ideology uh, is based on having this sort of foreign foe. But that doesn't represent... That doesn't represent the entire government, and of course it doesn't represent the Iranian people, which is the same case, I would say, in the United States, right? So you can draw a parallel between the two. Mm -hmm. Whereas we have people in a position of power um, who clearly want war with Iran, 
I wouldn't say that's the case of the entirety of the United States government, and I certainly wouldn't say that's the case in the United States. Americans also don't want war, especially in the Middle East, because we have borne witness to how it affects not only the region and its instability, but ourselves. And as Americans, we don't want to send our service people to a catastrophe that can be prevented because, in fact, there's no real justifiable reason for it. So, again, at the end of the day, the question that always has to be asked is who wants war and who doesn't? Yeah, that's what I'm concerned about. There are a lot of people who do want war um, and a lot of people with the, uh, the, the, the money and the contracts, uh, you know, to, to fight for it, to push for it, many of whom seem to have the ear of this president. Uh, last question before I let you go, Dr. Rod. Is there anything uh, that the National Iranian American Council would recommend that concerned Americans might do? Uh, here to help diffuse this situation. What what can we all do here other than be, uh, you know, sort of passive observers watching this devolve into potentially, as I, I called it, a World War III breaking out? Uh, you know, again, so our broad point is to call on restraint on both sides. But we are an Iranian-American, an Iranian-American, sorry, organization. Mm-hmm. And so we can only influence our government and hold our government accountable. And in doing so, um, we can help prevent a war from happening. Of course, you know, sometimes we forget because we're watching from the outside that as citizens of this country, we have the right to call our members of Congress, to call our senators, to call our Congress people, and demand that they prevent this from happening. And there are members of Congress um, that are working, that have legislation right now that says authorization for war is with Congress and not with the president. So I do believe that there is action that we can take to sort of curtail these events from taking place. Because like you said, one of the things that we know about war is that it's unpredictable. We don't know what will be the consequence. And to prevent this sort of unforeseen un- concern that something terrible could happen, we have the opportunity right now to prevent it. If we speak up, and by the way, I think uh, our listeners here are, uh, they may have this phone number engraved already by their phones, but you can reach your members of Congress by dialing 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121. The Trump administration has already been uh, making claims that they can use the authorization for military force that was put in place after 9-11 uh, as permission to go to war with Iran. Uh, I suspect that's going to be uh, an argument we're going to be hearing more and more of. But uh, if listeners, if their voices are heard more and more by Congress, maybe we can help avoid all of this. 202-224-3121. Dr. Sal Rod is a research fellow at the National Iranian American Council. You can uh, find their work at niacouncil.org, and you can find Asal on the tw- on the uh, on the the Twitters at Asal Rod A S S A L R A D. Asal, really appreciate you joining us here today, and I suspect we'll be uh, talking to you again in the future. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. Thanks, Doc. Okay, let's uh, take a quick break here. Try to uh, <clears throat> lighten things up a little bit, Desi Doyen, mm. with. Uh, 
Global warming. Oh, goody. That's always good for a laugh. Um, yeah, quick it's break. It's a real here. laugh back. riot. Well, in this case, we've got lawmakers on the lamb. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast, as well as the Green News Report. Don't go away. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate and thanks. And the first one said to the second one there, I hope you're having fun. Band on the run. Yeah. Band on the run. Republicans on the run up in Oregon. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman. From bradblog.com, Republican members of Oregon's state Senate skipped town today to avoid voting on a sweeping climate change bill. And now Governor Kate Brown's authorizing the state police to bring them back. They, so they skip town not to, uh, you know, uh, do something important like keep their people safe, a fight for rights. They skip town to avoid a bill to prevent climate change, to deal with our climate crisis. Earlier this week, the Democratic-controlled Oregon House passed a carbon reduction bill aimed at capping greenhouse gas emissions through a cap-and-trade regulation system. House Republicans voted unanimously against it. Two other Democrats uh, also voted against it. On Thursday, Oregon Senate Republicans, who also opposed the bill, naturally made good on their promise to stage a walkout ahead of the vote. Senator Tim Knopp, a Republican of Oregon, told Oregon Public Broadcasting that they would be fleeing to different states. This protest prompted Senate President Peter Courtney, a Democrat, to request that the state police go fetch his GOP colleagues. And Brown, Governor Brown, followed suit. She said in a statement that as the executive of the agency, I am authorizing the state police to fulfill the Senate Democrats request. It is absolutely unacceptable that the Senate Republicans would turn their back on their constituents who they are honor bound to represent here in this building. I do not believe the state police will be able to find any of our members, said Knopp, who plans to travel through at least three different states. Yeah, he explained to Oregon Public Radio. So instead of the Democrats putting efforts into finding bipartisan solutions, their answer is to waste state police resources to try and track down legislators and arrest them. It sounds more like a dictatorship than a democracy, said Knopp. Well, before I give you my thoughts, Des, your thoughts on that. Oh, oh I you, think you, Oregon Republicans are, are bravely running away so that they can protect the impoverished fossil fuel industry that needs <laughs> all the help it can get so it can continue to pollute our air and water for free and make climate change worse for all future generations. I mean, really, Republicans in, in Oregon are just really stepping up there. Well, th- you know, this is what, frankly, I wish Democrats 
would have done in the U.S. Senate when uh, Mitch McConnell was forcing through votes on the uh, stolen Supreme Court seat for Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch and even for Brett Kavanaugh, basically deprived them of a quorum. I mean, Republicans is not, you know, as if Republicans have shown uh, interest in uh, bipartisan solutions to things. No, they just when they want something, they do everything they, they, they do can it. to get it. Exactly. They pull out all the stops. Yeah. And as to something that uh, as as the uh, Republican Knopp said, I guess that's how you say his name, Knopp or just Knopp. I don't know when he says uh, it sounds like uh, uh, more like dictatorship than a democracy going out and and having the police bring them back well you know i recall i'm old enough to remember some years ago when the state of texas in republican control at the time as it still is they did the very same thing they used state resources to bring back democrats to try to bring back Democrats who had fled the state to avoid a vote on photo ID voting restrictions, which, by the way, is a bill that was ultimately found to be multi repeatedly found to be unconstitutional. But when the Democrats uh, skipped town and Republicans were uh, using state police, I don't remember the Republicans saying, well, this sounds like a dictatorship, not a democracy. And also, we should talk about what this actually means. I mean, California has had a cap-and-trade system in place for years, and it has garnered billions of dollars that have gone towards clean energy projects and assisting low-income communities to uh, adopt clean energy. And it's also reduced the pollution in California. And, by the way, in the meantime, California's economy has boomed. So it made the uh, air cleaner. Yep. It brought in millions of dollars, billions, billions of dollars to the state. Mm -hmm. And the economy has been booming the whole time. It hasn't killed the economy. Exactly. So it has been a fantastic market-based mechanism that has worked greatly so far to curb pollution and emissions. So, you know, it's it's unclear. Well, it's not really. I was going to say it's unclear <laughs> what it is that they're, uh, you know, they're so upset about. We know what they're upset about. It's their fossil fuel donors. They are serving them well, just as they were paid to do. Yep. It's not like they're fighting for rights. You know, in that case in Texas, the Democrats were trying to hold off uh, a measure that would restrict millions of Texans from being able to cast uh, their vote under a scheme that was ultimately found over and over again to be unconstitutional and unlawful. And we saw a similar thing, by the way, uh, up in Wisconsin, you may remember some years ago, oh, yeah. where the uh, Republican, uh, then Republican governor, now washed up, also ran, who can't even get a job in the Trump administration, Scott Walker, uh, did the same thing when Democrats in that state Senate uh, left to avoid a vote on, again, killing union rights in the Badger state. Again, they were fighting for the rights of people. Not for the profits of industry and fossil fuel companies. So, yeah, those were cases, you know, that were stripping rights from citizens. This is a law that I guess Republicans believe will hurt their corporate donors in the fossil fuel industry. So they're willing to head out of town. Uh, 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 who knows how long? And I don't know if this is one of those cases where the, uh, the, the session will end at some point very soon. And uh, so they can run out the clock. That kind of sounds like what's going on here. But um, just to give you an idea where Republicans, at least in Oregon, and, and we got a lot of affiliates in Oregon, so uh, this is an all-points bulletin. <laughs>
Mr. and Ms. America and all the ships at sea, uh, if you see any Republican state lawmakers out and about throughout the state, you may want to report them to your local police so they can be rounded up and brought back to the Senate so they can do their job. There you go. All right. One more uh, point here, which I'm, you know, I don't know. We'll get your thoughts on this. I, I, I want to say this is good news when it comes to, yes, bipartisan solutions. Got a, a press release today from uh, Congressman Ted Deutsch, who we had uh, we haven't had him on the show for a while. Would love to get him back. Uh, he wasn't available today. Wanted to talk to him about the uh, he's on the Judiciary Committee where Hope Hicks was not allowed to talk about her time in the White House because uh, the White House is still obstructing justice by making up a completely new privilege that never existed before called absolute immunity that they claim uh, prevents Hope Hicks, Donald Trump's longtime aide, from, uh, from being able to testify to Congress about what she saw while she worked in the White House. Anyway, Ted Deutsch uh, announces that he... He's a congressman from Florida's 22nd district, a Democrat, uh, along with Republican Congressman Francis Rooney from Florida's 19th congressional district. They have relaunched the Bipartisan Climate Solutions Caucus. In the uh, release, Congressman Deutsch says Americans want Congress to act on climate change, but we're not going to get anywhere without bipartisan support. He said we have a diverse group of Democrats and Republicans covering many different parts of the country. This caucus reflects our shared belief that to achieve meaningful action on climate change, we must work together. And I look forward to it. Congressman uh, Rooney, for his part, the Republican, said the Climate Solutions Caucus is an important bipartisan venue where members can share ideas and debate the merits of how best to solve the environment uh, to solve the environmental concerns we face as a nation, sea level rise, carbon emissions and the overall health of our climate are bipartisan issues. And I am encouraged that there are a growing number of people on both sides of the aisle willing to find solutions, said Rooney. Now, the uh, members is about what do we have here? About 50 of them, mostly Democrats. But in truth, there are a good amount of Republicans. There's about 15 Republicans in this uh, in this group. Gosh, and a whole 15. Des- well, see, I knew you were going to be uh, snarky, snarky about it. Oh, yeah. yeah I didn't. I, I believe uh, isn't isn't Representative Matt Gates, Matt super genius Gates. on that as well. He is Florida. A lot of uh, Florida folks here. You notice the two who uh, announced this were uh, both Florida Congress members. Well, and there's a good reason for that, because sea level rise is definitely threatening Florida. But to me, the past Congress, when Republicans were the majority, the Bipartisan Climate Solutions Caucus was actually used pretty much to block any action whatsoever and to give Republicans cover so that they could appear to be caring about climate change and they could appear to be doing something. And in reality, they blocked everything. So Maybe this new version will do better in this new Congress. Who knows? You're so cynical. I, it's so when sad. it comes to Republicans bearing you, gifts, Desi absolutely, yeah, I am really? cynical. Yeah. Well, uh, you may have good reason to. Uh, so, in other words, you're suggesting that this way they can come together and say, hey, we're looking for bipartisan solutions. We are talking about it a lot. We have a lot of talking. We just can't find any. Exactly. Yeah. There's nothing we can agree on because it would require Republicans, much like in Oregon, acting against their fossil fuel donors. And there are a sizable number of Democrats, too, who probably also have that that in the back of their heads. Well, you know, a lot of these uh, 
Florida Congress members, they better do something because uh, their districts are going to be literally disappearing off yes. the map. Yes, and it's um, and it it's, is unclear, just to be a little scary science, it is unclear right now whether or not, no matter what action we take, if places like, say, Miami will survive the end of the century. Well, with that cheery note, let's Whee! take a quick break, and we'll come back with the Green News Report. Uh, these uh, Both of these stories uh, broke since we laid down today's Green News Report for our affiliates around the country. But I wanted to try to fit those in, again, as a way to cheer us all up <laughs> from the possibility of World War III breaking out in uh, the Persian Gulf at any moment. Other than that, the end of the world is nigh. Quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. You know, it's like one way or another, we want to destroy humanity. We are <laughs> Humanity wants to destroy humanity, whether it's destroying the climate that we live in or just, you know, blowing each other off the entire planet, uh, getting it. At least we at least then we get it over with quickly does. Oh, well, then. OK, there's that. Right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we got actually some uh, some solutions, some good news. Right. Today yes. in our latest Green News Report, our ACE rule will incentivize new technologies that will ensure coal plants can be part of a cleaner future. Trump EPA replaces Obama's clean power plan with deadly scheme to prop up polluting coal industry. Our air and water are the cleanest they've ever been by far. Sorry, Mr. Trump. U.S. air pollution is measurably worse since you took office. Plus, this is not only a first step, but it is a giant step. New York set to approve one of the world's most ambitious climate change plans. All of those giant steps and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We have among the cleanest and sharpest, crystal clean air and water anywhere on Earth. The sharpest? Air and water anywhere in the world? That's what he said. What does that even mean? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, so the Trump administration has not done enough damage already. Now they've got a new plan to help kill thousands of Americans. Yeah, that's pretty much it. The Trump Environmental Protection Agency on Wednesday unveiled its biggest rollback of Obama-era climate policies yet, introducing its replacement for President Obama's landmark clean power plan, which was the first ever standard to cut the carbon emissions from power plants that cause dangerous man-made climate change. In a speech, Trump EPA chief and former coal lobbyist... Former? Yes, former... 
coal lobbyist Andrew Wheeler ignored the booming domestic clean energy industry and instead focused on propping up the dying coal industry. Rather than punishing U.S. production and yielding the marketplace to Chinese coal, which is what the Obama Clean Power Plan did, we are leveling the playing field and encouraging innovation and technology across the sector. If we don't develop the next generation of clean coal technologies here in the U.S., no one else will. Good. No one else should. There's no such thing as clean coal. But boy, the coal industry is getting their money's worth from their former lobbyist, Andrew Wheeler, aren't they? Yes, they are. The U.S. Supreme Court had stayed Obama's clean power plan, so it never actually took effect. Trump's new affordable clean energy plan gives states authority to set their own standards or do nothing at all. Its timeline is actually slower than what the power sector is already on track to do as utilities ditch coal in favor of cheaper, cleaner natural gas and renewables. Worse, the Trump EPA actually admits in its own filings that the new rule easing restrictions on coal plants will actually increase deadly pollution, estimating it will cause the premature deaths of as many as 1,500 Americans every year, especially in the southeast. And the EPA's projected emissions cuts from the new rule amount to less than half of what experts say is necessary to avert catastrophic climate change, which was kind of the whole point of the original rule. So they know this is going to actually kill people, actually kill Americans And they're doing it anyway because the coal industry wants them to. Exactly. States and environmental groups plan to sue to stop the new rule, but that will take years. And in the meantime, more people will die from pollution. Wheeler told reporters he expects new coal plants to open up as a result of the rule. Let's hope he's wrong. I bet he will be. Meanwhile, at a rally in Orlando, Florida, to launch his 2020 presidential campaign on Tuesday, President Trump again lied about U.S. air and water quality. Our air and water are the cleanest they've ever been by far. Sadly, that is just not true. A new AP analysis of federal data shows that Trump has succeeded in reversing decades of clean air gains. Air pollution has actually gotten worse over the last two years, with 15 percent more days with unhealthy air quality since 2016. Well, I'm sure that fact check will completely change the lie that Donald Trump gives to all of his campaign rallies. And, of course, climate change continues apace. Last month was the fourth warmest May on record globally, according to NOAA. All of the top five warmest Mays on record have all occurred in just the last five years. But finally, there is some good news. Good. New York State is on the verge of passing one of the most ambitious climate action bills in the nation. As of airtime, the Democratic majority state legislature has agreed to pass and Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo has agreed to sign sweeping climate, jobs and justice legislation to eliminate the state's contribution to climate change. The ambitious package legally binds the state to reach net zero greenhouse emissions by 2050, zero carbon electricity by 2050 and create jobs by transitioning every corner of the state's economy to clean energy. Good. If New York can do it, I'd say the other 49 states can as well, if they want. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. With dreams are made of, there's nothing you can.
you know, uh, good news, uh, but grim. Just a grim day. Glad to get that good news out of New York. I think that's the only uh, positive story we had to cover today, Des. Um, yeah, probably. And, you know, interestingly, the uh, Republicans in the New York State Senate didn't abscond and disappear so that this could not get passed. Mm. And so just as a follow-up, yeah. it had not yet passed when we went to air with our Green News report today. However, it has now passed both the New York State House and the New York State Senate and is on the way to uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo's desk, so he is expected to sign it, and they will be on their way. This is this is a huge undertaking for any economy. New York has one of the largest economies in the world, second to California, of course, but they have a lot of work to do, and this is going to create a bazillion jobs because they have to retrofit Good. everything, and that those jobs cannot be outsourced, at least until they figure out how to, you know, move a building in New York to China so they can do it and then transport it back. It has to be done here. And those are jobs. Do you have any idea? I wasn't able to look at the vote. Uh, do you have any idea if any Republicans I did not came look at the vote, so I don't know. But at least we know they didn't run out of town. Exactly. They didn't run to Trenton. All right. Uh, very good. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, uh, for all the work you do and for producing today's program as ever. Also, my thanks to Dr. Asal Rod of the National Iranian American Council and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us, grim or otherwise. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or from your favorite podcast site. We do thank those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate as you are the ones who are responsible for keeping us on your public airwaves day in and day out. Couldn't do it without you. Really appreciate and need your help at bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at simply the Brad blog. See you there. Say hello. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. And I mean it. Good luck, world.